From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Everybody to another edition of Goal Home Goals once more. Rog joining me as always is our man, as you can see there in the lake himself, Roger Mitchell, back from a week of jolly boys outing in London. How are you, Rog? I'm good. I'm good. I found last week uh, tiring. Uh, it was also interesting, Grant, because you know it's, it's strange because over two years you've met a whole lot of people, you've deepened a lot of acquaintances, you've got new clients, and and then you realise you've never actually met a lot of people. No, that's right. That's exactly uh, right. And then you meet them for the... And, and, and it freaks you out because, you know, they're taller than you thought. They're shorter. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they've got a different personality. They're on Zoom. You can pick up all the body language. And, and um, it was great for that. It was great to see a lot of people. Um, Sports Pro did a great job. And, you know, the thing I noticed, Grant, I don't know whether you've had this. I know you've started travelling a lot now, is that... I don't know whether people have got a desire to, to like speak a little bit like in the old ways, you know, like, you know, whisper, you know, like, you know, confidential one-to-one. And I just found a lot of people saying, well, you know, this is what I really think about whether it's cricket faux pas or, or um, you know, Lewis Hamilton or whatever. Just the, the people that like, want to get in a corner and just get confidential about, you know, what they feel about things. I noticed that a lot last week. Yeah, but well, yeah, but the trouble is, Rod, you can't be honest and open because people judge you for it, right? It, it, people will take the worst of anything you say and then make assumptions about your character. It's, it's it's terribly sad. And there's a couple of stories I'm sure we'll talk about this week that bear reference to that. Well, I mean, let me, let me give you an example, and 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 you know, it probably throws the order all over the place here. But just on that, you know, uh, I was there when the the whole what's he called Rafiq cricketer. Yep. Um, uh, story broke. It broke on the, I think it, it was the Monday. And, you know, there was people speaking to me and these are normal, decent people who have got a lot of experience in life and they they called the news cycle for the next um, 36, 72 hours. They said um, they're, they're going to find something that he said that's not uh, nice, um, probably some racist thing of his own. Oh, and, um, you know, that whole thing about you know, grooming and, 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 you know, the Asian community. And I bet you something comes up about that. Bang on, bang on. I, you know, I, I don't really judge anybody. I've got that whole kind of like, um, Catholic confessional thing. I don't, I don't judge anybody, but what, isn't it funny, Grant, that we did at the time of Black Lives Matter, we did a special podcast with Jim Kerr and we talked specifically about the needs to be purer than pure if you're going to uh, walk the talk. And what we're finding in this world of ours is this glass house morality that um, one day you're the grand accuser and the next day they've found something that you've tweeted 10 years ago. As you say, it's very, very sad, mate. That's, that's what I think. Well, you know, to me, what Rog, what the really sad thing is, is, look, none of us are pure. We're all human beings, right? We've all made mistakes. So... You can forget that for a start. Anyone saying anything knows that they've done something. Um, and and the, the fact that this is the way the world's going leads to exactly what you talked about. People, when you're in London, meeting up, wanting to quietly have a chat in a corner just in case anyone overhears and gets offended by something they said when you know, private conversations should stay private. You know, the, the only potential advantage of this, Rog, is that this becomes so toxic that people are frightened of throwing stones because they know that someone's going to come back to them. Maybe the pendulum starts swinging back the other the other way because, um, you know, right now it's just ridiculous how how this these things go. And, you know, Rafiq comes out with his stories and you know that what's happening instantly is Yorkshire Cricket Club probably have got their PR guys combing through his social media page. Right, you need to find of something. Course. To, to get us back in the in the good graces of the public on this. So go out and turn over every stone you can and find something. There's got to be something out there. And that's just the way it's going to go. You know, everything is a is a is a battle fought in the court of public opinion these days. And 
unfortunately, the damage gets done to Yorkshire Cricket Club. The damage gets done to uh, Rafiq. The damage gets done to this poor girl on the plane. The damage gets done to you know everybody involved in the story, and the public just move on, right? So those people have all the damage done in their lives. Alex Hale's another great example, yeah. right? And, and you know, you and I know it's virtually impossible to play a team sport these days and be a racist. I mean, a hardcore racist. It's really, really difficult to happen, Rog, because most of these teams are all think, multicultural, right. multi-ethnic, particularly in the UK. You know, you grow up in the UK, you are surrounded. It's such a melting pot of different ethnicities. And so things that happen in a team environment where you're all kind of mucking in and making fun of each other and it's all banter. Everything's about taking the piss, right? Everything. It's all English humour is based on sarcasm. That's it. That is the root ingredient for all British humour. And so, you know, Alex Hales is now being shamed for a fancy dress costume that he wore. You know, he's, he's apologised for it, incredibly disrespectful at the time. I'm sure he went to a party with a bunch of his mates in the team and everyone thought it was really funny and it was nothing more than a funny costume and that was it. You know, there's no way when he, when he yeah. put it on, he thought, this is incredibly disrespectful, can't wait to go out in this. Of course he didn't think that. He wasn't being disrespectful. It's viewed as disrespectful now and you can understand the sensitivities of people. But this culture of judging everybody for everything they do in private in a public courtroom is only going to lead to disaster. And, and we're heading that way rapidly, unfortunately. That's true. Uh, and I can't deny that. And, and I come back to it, like I say, the, the problem for me is not, is it banter or is it everybody's a racist? Because as always in life, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm glad to see that Yorkshire uh, Cricket Club, you know, have been put under the spotlight because yeah. I think that has been toxic up there. I'm glad to see uh, his own anti-Semitic tweet come to light because... That's still too raw, what happened uh, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, I, I, in, in Italy, that happened very much, the anti-Semitism. And of course, you know, all this sexting and everything like that. I'm not going to sound like a Boy Scout here, but I, I'm glad that they, they, they get caught out, uh, you know, whether it's Tim Payne or, or whether it's him again. So, you know, it's an incredibly nuanced argument, Grant. You know, yes, you're right, sarcasm, yes, banter, but... There's certain things that I think need to move on and quite significantly move on. Uh, and I'm just annoyed that rather than getting moved on, like Yorkshire needs to change, it probably has got a break now because the, the evangelist for that, uh, Rafiq, ha has been so damaged in his credibility that they may get away with this. You know, so that annoys me a little bit. Uh, I must admit, it's so complex, mate. So complex. I don't think I don't think they'll get away with it. But, I, but I, what's think? interesting to me is that well, look, the, the the amount of coverage the initial allegations got when he was testifying at that committee dwarfed the amount of coverage his anti-Semitic tweets and the stuff on the plane got dwarfed it, right? But the media have picked a side and they've staked themselves behind this guy and and okay, here's our story. The story is Yorkshire cricket terrible, Rafiq good. There's our we've picked our sides. When all this other stuff comes out, it's like, well, we've got to cover it, but it makes us look bad. So we'll put a bit out there, but we're not going to give it blanket coverage like we did. We're not going to get people writing opinions on it. We're just going to report it as a story and then we're going to move on. And that's the danger, Rog, is that in this day and age, it's impossible for anybody to say, you know what, sorry, I, got, I, I made a bad error in judgment there. I, I, I'm sorry about that. It was poor. I apologise, let's move on. You can't do that. Whether you're a media organisation, whether you're a prime minister or a president, whether you're a cricketer or a, or a footballer, it's impossible to make a mistake and say sorry and it be over and done with. And, and that, to me, is one of the big problems here, right? You know, going back to the Alex Hales thing, I'm sure he feels terrible about it now. But you, you know at the time he didn't feel terrible about it because he wouldn't have gone out and done it if he felt terrible about it. But... If someone had said to him at that party, I'm sure, mate, that's a bit on the nose, he'd have probably gone and washed this costume off in the bathroom. But it didn't happen, and now he's been he's been hauled over the course of cause in public. So it's really difficult, Rose. There's very little tolerance anymore in, in every sense of the word, right? There's no tolerance. That's, There's that's no, the thing. I always yeah. I, I always I always find intolerance and, and dogma and absolutism. It's usually accompanied by a, a significant number of body bags in the yeah. history of the world. Yeah. In every shape and form. And and you can see that this is where it's heading. 
It's a polarized dogma and intolerance, and there's going to be a lot of victims, and many of them won't deserve it. And and that's that that's not a great place, I must admit. Yeah, no, I com- I completely agree. Well, look, what do you what have you got for us this week? Any fun stories? Things you've hijacked us at the top of the show with that one. <laughs> All right, okay. If we want if we want a fun one, if we want a fun one, this is a new entry from a couple of hours ago. If we want to lighten the spirits a little bit, imagine the Italian version of Jeff Sterling. Uh, this is a sports journalist who has been uh, an Italian TV Rai for, I would say, 30 years because in Italy, they they don't change them. They they get old right. and they, they, they basically die in the job type thing. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a no country for young men or something like that. So um, this guy's called Enrico Variali um, and separate to Jeff Sterling, who is a lovely chap, Variali's a bit of a dick. He always has been. Uh, I've always thought that he has shown an element of jealousy to who was the real star and the protagonist of the sports programmes that he presided over. Let's call them match of the day to make it easy for our listeners. He um, always wanted to be the one with the last clip, the the sharpest uh, point, um, and he's never achieved anything in his life. He's one of these critics that... Uh, loves to just snipe at other people normally when they're not having a good time. So he very famously with this character trait had a very public on-air dispute about 10, 15 years ago with uh, Walter Zenga, who was the Italian goalkeeper around the start of the 90s and played in mm-hmm. Italian Avanta, um, Italian 90. They had um, an argument that degenerated on-air and Verali comes out to Walter Zenga, who <laughs> had a pretty decent career, and said, oh, that last thing you said, that's one of your classic gaffes, like the one you did that made us lose the World Cup. If you remember the semi-final of the World Cup, Italy-Argentina, he came off his line and, and, and Kanija beat him to the, to the ball in the air with a header and probably did lose Italy a World Cup where they were clearly the best team. Now, Walter Zenga knows that, Everybody in Italy knows that. What you don't need is some wannabe journalist uh, slamming that in your face in the public. And he obviously won that argument because Zenga didn't, you know, that that, that blow is a low blow and it landed uh, and the public sympathised uh, with him and even more, this guy Variali was, was disliked. So here is the story of <laughs> Variali to make us laugh. He got into a spot of bother about two or three um, months ago and was suspended from Rai. And the story was a little bit um, not sure what had happened. One of these uh, internal matter, internal reviews suspended until it's covered up. Here's what happened because it's come out um, just today. Here's what happened. And and I'm quoting a little bit here. He he was involved in wife beating. Um, She wasn't his wife, uh, his partner. And he uh, hit her, slapped her, threw her against the wall, insulted her and um, persecuted her with telephone calls all through the night, turning up at her door and and ringing the bell at six o'clock in the morning. And she got a restraining order on him. This is the funny bit here in his defense. (laughs) He, He says... It all started uh, with a misunderstanding around the, the, the time of the European Championships of football. And he says, during which we were all rather tense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were all tense, mate. None of us decided to go upstairs and, and slap around the missus. None of us did that, mate, apart from you. We were all a bit tense. And I guess, I suppose, I took it out on her. <laughs> so it was. Uh, it went to the courts today, and uh, the preliminary trial. And and the judge said, "I'm not even doing the preliminary trial. The evidence is so overwhelming, mate, that you're going directly to the prosecution." So Varali is now a wife beater, and Zenga, I'm sure, is somewhere wherever he's living these days, just having a nice little smile quietly well again that comes back to what we said before right that he was without sin and all that i mean correct uh... correct well listen let, let me uh a couple of quick ones here to bring up on the on the plus side first one was a tweet that went out yesterday with two words on it nothing more than that just two words making progress and um this tweet <laughs> came out yesterday and uh there he is tiger woods hitting nice easy wedges on the range and just fantastic to see that you know, it he, he looks like he's swinging pretty easy. It's it's not a full swing with a driver or anything, but you know we haven't heard 
anything really of Tiger since that accident. And there was obviously a lot of furore about it, that what had been happening and whether he was high or drinking or whatever. All we knew was that his leg was basically shattered and everyone's saying that he was done and, you know, Tiger's been written off so many times. So it was just great to see him out there hitting golf balls again, you know. I mean, who knows if he's going to come back and compete at the top level. God forbid win a tournament, God forbid win another major. But, you know, he's the kind of athlete that you just you write him off at your peril. I mean, it's just extraordinary that the guys like that with that kind of talent and that kind of drive to see him back doing that. He looks like he's in good shape. He look, you know, he look, looks strong and healthy. He doesn't look like he's sat in front of the TV eating Cheetos for the whole, you know, the last nine months. So I, I was just delighted to see him back swinging a golf club, looking in good shape and, and excited to see what happens next, Roger. Yeah, I, I saw that, and so did many other people, Grant, and everybody had the same reaction. Some people said, listen to the sound of the impact of the ball. Um, some people said, look at all the divots and how they're so parallel and in yeah. order. Everybody seemed to be excited by that, and, and, and I'll link that to something I want to um, say about a clip I saw about um, Rory, who, regardless of whether he wins another major or not, is still the most beautiful swinger of a golf club probably of his generation um, there was this clip from one of the tournaments where I think it was a par 5 and um, the interesting shot was the second shot which was a fairway woods and they had the, the shot tracker on it and you know it was a beautiful high hook over a bunker dropped it you know on a sixpence to about six feet away and I think the commentator was Thomas Bjorn and he just he was speechless and I was I was just so lovely to see when he does that yeah, he had a, he had a rough day yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. He you know he, hit, he was coming into fifteen, hit a forty four yard pitch, hit the flag, and bounced back into the bunker and completely screwed. He ended up bogeying that hole instead of birdieing it, and then had a couple of more bogeys coming in and cost him a tournament. But um, you know he's definitely back. He's definitely swinging well, Roger. And we've you know we've talked about Rory on the show many times before. I just hope he gets that moment. You know, he hope he gets that that chance to, to come down the 18th at Augusta, complete the Grand Slam uh, and have that career-defining moment. Because as you say, he's, he's a fantastic golfer to watch and you know hopefully he, he gets a chance to, to do that and make history. I was just thinking that he's from Northern Ireland as well. And you know the parallels, not, not complete parallels, but similar with uh, Alex Higgins, who went through a very dry period before that wonderful win, I think it was in 82, at the Crucible where yeah. um, the, the semi-final with Jimmy White and obviously the final with Ray Reardon and then, you know, calling uh, his daughter uh, on to... I think that's in Rory's future. Um, I, I'm not sure when, but I think he's got something left to give us, but he needs to get his head straight. Again, you know, I didn't know that, but if he's had a bad day today, I, I think it's focus. I don't know what it is, but, you know, people better than me will, will no, he was going out, along. he was going along great. He was in the lead when this happened. Um, now Colin Morikawa came past him. Rory kind of went backwards three shots, and Morikawa, oh, okay. who just is another, just he's just such a treat to watch play golf. Yes. So you know, Rory kind of let that get in his head, but um, but he's playing well again, Roger. He's playing well again. So I would I would think there could be some good stuff from Rory next year. Well, listen, let's let's move on to something slightly darker, which um, is. Uh, as dark as it gets, my friend. Um, the the French journalist uh, this week, uh, who is a significantly well-known journalist, Romain Molina, uh, is written for the New York Times, The Guardian. Um, he is not uh, Johnny Nobody. He has come out uh, in, I think he did this on Twitter Stories or something like that. He came out with an amazing list of accusations around mainly French football. Um, I don't know, did you see that, Grant? Did you see any of this at all? I haven't seen it, no. I've not seen it. Well, well, this is, you know, buckle up, man. And, and I hope you've had your dinner because some of this is quite unbelievable. You know, and this isn't a great moment for French football. Even yesterday you saw the player getting hit. It's a very, very difficult moment for French football. So he's made certain um, accusations. I'm going to read these. Uh, this is from a Reddit uh, thread, but it's been reported widely everywhere. L.A.Y.E., the Montpellier striker, wasn't fired from the, the Cannes youth setup for physically assaulting a supervisor at the academy, as was reported. Instead, 
uh, he was uh, fired for bringing over some of his secondary school friends into the bathrooms, making them undress and masturbate in front of him. This is a player of Montpellier. Uh, the journalist then goes on to accuse that 400 plus players currently playing in the Premier League Championship, League One and League Two in, in France, 400 plus have been raped multiple times in their youth. Uh, some of them have contracted anal, anal injuries uh, and or diseases and have gone to specialised clinics as a result. This is a two decade old issue the, this, the, uh, that has always been covered up. Um, he doesn't let uh, Megan Rapinoe away either. He claims, these are all allegations, obviously, but he is a big-name journalist. Uh, he claims yeah. she wasn't um, uh, in any way bothered by um, the, the the fate of Haitian girls in Haiti, obviously, being raped. She was, uh, quoting him, uh, preferring uh, earning money over defending these young girls. Um, uh, just um, there's so many of these. I'm going to go to, just going to read them, a few. One of the largest academies in the Republic of Congo is currently managed by a paedophile ring. Well, of course it is, isn't it? Um, an in international coach uh, was caught red-handed after raping two 13-year-old girls in the middle of a tournament. His employer, a large media company, fired him under other pretenses in 2017. Um, a very well-liked personality uh, participated in covering up this story. Ferland Mendy, I think he currently plays for Real Madrid, no less, uh, hit a woman, knocked her to the ground, kicked her in the head before taking out his genitals and rubbing them in her face. She was taken to the emergency room after suffering head trauma. He also assaulted another woman. Um, the players' club, I'm not sure that's Real Madrid at the time, uh, covered up the story in order to sell him the following year, so it wasn't Real Madrid. Uh, he claims that so many international games in Asia are fixed, and this has actually prevented many players wanting to represent their country uh, in Asia because they know what they'll be asked to do. The boss of Colombia's refereeing is a paedophile. Molina has a complaint from a 12-year-old, which uh, he can barely read in its entirety because it is, quotes, guts-wrenching. Um, continue to go on some other things. Most African FA presidents get paid prostitutes and have their daughters' school fees covered uh, by the payments that they get. Um, this is a rather light one in, in, in the theme of these. At Arsenal, all the players inhale nitrous oxide. A player came back to celebrate his birthday in Paris under the theme nitrous oxide balloons. Not, not the, the, the the biggest sin in the world here. Uh, this one here, I hope. So, everybody... where, where, wait, where, where is the, you said this is French football? I'm not hearing French football here. I'm hearing all kinds of things here. It's all kinds of things, but, but it's mainly around French players or French league or French players playing overseas. So, uh, yeah, French football in the main, mainly French football. Here's one that really is unbelievable: uh, a French international, international, right? organized parties he, where he would defecate in women's mouths and film himself while doing it. He forced a girl who later on sought to issue a formal complaint to participate. Someone offered Molina a video, which he actually declined to watch. Um, blah, 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 blah. Just astonishing stuff. I won't go on to all of them because the list goes on and on and on. Now, yeah, I think you've made your point. I mean, I'm, so so the, the 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 point is, and and you know, there's a lot of people that are into this world that you know, the world of Epstein, and you, we don't really want to scratch the surface or go down the rabbit hole because it is truly awful. I'm partial to conspiracy theory, and I and I do think there is truth in a lot of these things, but it's deeply sad and very concerning actually that a, a journalist of this credibility believes that, that that he can come out and say that. First of all, I would be scared for my own safety if I was him. He's quite a young guy. But, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the things I read after this, there was something also to do with, um, I think this is well reported, um, Benjamin Mendy, the Man City player, who I think is on four charges of rape, um, this may or not be not be true, but uh, this guy here is suggesting that Man City have um, looked at all of this and taken a view that maybe uh, they will not look at French players as often as as they do in the past, and they will certainly go under much more stringent behavioural type due diligence around the people that they are employing in the club. Well, it's not really, it's not really much to say about that, Rog. I mean, I. I Having not read the read the story, which I will do when we when we finish here, but that is that's a mind boggling list of 
stuff to come out. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. I mean, we, look, look, football um, at the top level is no stranger to, uh, you know, controversy and bad behaviour and bribery and corruption. And we all know from the very, very top, we've seen set blatter on down. We've seen that corruption is rife in the game of football. But, you know, this kind of stuff, as you say, it's just, it's a, it's really difficult to believe this sort of stuff can not only go on, but, but be covered up to that extent. I mean, if you think about how many people would need to be, would need to look the other way for this stuff to be covered up so long, it's... It just, that's what blows my mind, is that how can you find so many people who are willing to look the other way with this sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, there was one in there, I didn't read the whole list, but, you know, there was one in there that talked about Macron um, pressurising Deschamps to take Benzema back. Um, Benzema has obviously got a very, very uh, edgy story, certainly around the, the blackmail and the sex tape to, of his companion or, or whatever it was. Um, and then to answer your question, that's the, the president of France, I mean, listen, uh, everything is forgiven if you can put a couple of balls in the back of the net with regularity. Um, and I guess that's the thing, I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, uh, when you are doing that, then a lot of things are forgiven. But so, some of those things, um, especially involving academies and young kids and, you know, uh, this, this, this isn't yeah. new. You know, uh, famously, um, Celtic Boys Club, uh, uh, Alan Brazil, um, a, a victim, these things go on consistently and um, it's, it's quite depressing, actually. It's, as you say, there isn't a lot to say about it, but you can't yeah. you can't ignore that. This is a big, big story now. Yeah, no, it's shocking. It's shocking. Well, look, at, at the risk of moving on, I mean, as I said, there's not much to say, but at least there's a story that will put a smile back on your face, Rog, and that is... Um, I need that. The story of Union saint Gilloise in Belgium, oh, yes. which was sent to us on Twitter by uh, Rabbi Jacob yesterday. And I was reading the story. It's just a fantastic story. So this is a Belgian team, uh, here we go, owned by the owner of Brighton, who, and, you know, the, the reason you're going to love this story, Roger, is, is the money ball aspect of it. You know, these guys went out, they wanted to buy a club, but they wanted to buy a club that meant they could win. They didn't want to just buy a club. They wanted something that would give them a chance to win, not just be in a big league or just for the prestige, but they wanted to have some fun with it. So they scout around and they find this team in Belgium, which, uh, you know, I think they've won 11 league titles in their history, but they haven't played in the top flight in almost 50 years. They're about 10 miles away from Anderlecht, um, have been seen as kind of the poor neighbours for almost 50 years. So these guys buy the club, put in a very young team and go full money ball. I mean, everything is data-driven. It's a combination of Moneyball and the All Blacks' no-dickhead policy. Yeah, yeah. So they set about building a team. They, they said they, they, they would take 10, 12 months trying to identify players and go through, once, they, once they'd gone through the data and figured out what the data said about who would fit, then it was all about the man, the person. Let's find out about the character. They've put this team together, and here they are, five points clear at the top of the equivalent of the Premier League in, in Belgium. Uh, they beat Anderlecht on the first day of the season. And, you know, this is this is Leicester City, but bigger, I would say. Right, the league is smaller, but in terms of a local story, this is way bigger than Leicester City. I mean, Leicester City had mm. been in the Premier League for, you know, had spent a long time in the Premier League and maybe they've been relegated and promoted again, but they were, they were a Premier League club. This is a league, that, a team that haven't been in the top flight for, for 50 years. And, you know, the, the stadium is a listed building. It holds 8,000 fans. They can't hmm. do any work to it because it's, you know, they, they're not allowed to put a roof on it. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. And if, you know, if they go on to win the Belgian first division, it will be a truly, truly remarkable story. And, and look, speak volumes about the data aspect of sport that you have been championing for such a long time now. You know, it just shows you what you can do in terms of figuring out what do you need to win and then figuring out people that can give you the various components that are required to win and make sure they're men you can count on, men that aren't going to appear in stories like the one we spoke about before this one. So yeah. I think this um, this is just a, a wonderful story. Union St. Gilloise, G-I-L-L-O-I-S-E. Our thanks to to Jacob for sending that to us because I, so I read the story when he sent it through yesterday. I just thought it was just a fantastic, fantastic story. Yeah, it, it, uh, it is a great story. Uh I had a good look at Belgian football in the spring when I was um, looking at a private equity company taking a stake in Bruges. Belgian football is doing so much right. 
looked I looked under the bonnet at Bruges and saw a wonderfully run club with um a five year squad rotation plan um in and out uh, for profit uh, recruitment uh, data and again this this small club here most of the data is around um recruitment and and there's a few people trying to do that I guess everybody that's trying to buy a club these days uh, thinks that they can get into this game of recruiting better than everybody else uh, and it's not easy it's not easy this club here that you mentioned is is doing it really well frankly the aspect that I think works more than you know using algorithms to find data data players like moneyball is the no dickheads policy and I will link it back to what I said before about the previous story there are a lot of very badly behaved young men in in, in football in today's world you can find it almost impossible to create a team to do a team building to create an esprit de corps if you get one or two of these people in your dressing room so the no dickheads prop policy i think is 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 equally if not more important than the data side I'd like to say a couple of things about this because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, use this story to say, look, you know, it's not uh, that the structures of football are wrong. It's not that uh, we need to change everything. If you do your business, you can do well. And, you know, Colin loves this line and he points to Plymouth and everything like that. I would like to say something about, about this, you know, my own club Celtic, haven't done any of this kind of stuff for the last 15 years. They have focused solely on local bragging rights and they have not invested in the kind of things that uh, this Belgian club has. And, you know, me working with, say, a company like Zone 7, which is exactly in this area, I can tell you from the scars on my back how hard it is to put tech into uh, clubs, uh, even well-run clubs, there is a whole ethos of us and them, football people and not football people. You know, what do you know? We've always done it this way. And what you're seeing now in the industry of association football is a rather um, bloody war of uh, transition. So, you know, ultimately the direction of travel is clear that everybody is going to have to use the benefits of big data of wonderful tech and, and certainly uh, machine learning to get an edge, you know, these marginal gains to get an edge, whether it's in recruiting or in keeping players on the field more than not, um, and apart from the commercial side, obviously, as well, which the same things apply. But there's too many clubs that say, uh, come back to Celtic, oh, you know, we can't expect to qualify for the Champions League anymore because we don't have the money. Uh, and you see Bruges doing that consistently, you see Ajax doing that, you see Porto doing that. Those are all benchmark clubs for us. So I think what is really needed, and it doesn't happen enough in the football industry, is benchmarking. You know, every club should be saying, who are my five most homogeneous like uh, rivals and what are they doing well and what do I not do well? And, and you know, you look at this Belgian club and you can see that. Uh, so uh, great story. One for the traditionalists to hang on to and say all is not wrong with the with the, the ecosystem of football. I think that would be a mistake. But one, one, to, one to cling on to there, I don't think they'll win the league grant. And frankly, I don't think they'll keep their edge over recruiting in the long term. It's just, like I've said this before, it's just so hard to do that season after season. You're dealing with the trading of humans and their agents, and it, you just can't do it as a process. So uh, good luck to them. Great story. Uh, Belgian football, let's take our chapeau off to them and let's see if they can hang on to the end of the season. Well, look, I mean, I, you go back, a few years, Rog, and this is exactly what we were saying about Leicester, right? We said this all the way through the season. It is. Oh, yeah, it isn't is. it great? They won't be there at the end it of the is. season. And, you know, they, they hung in there and they pretty soon everyone in the country was rooting for them and then it became theirs to lose, right? So you never know. You never know. If, if it hadn't been know. for Leicester. You never know. If it hadn't been for Leicester, I'd, I'd agree with you. But Le Leicester kind of was, for me, the, arguably the biggest team performance I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, the most unexpected um, against yeah. the odds, David and Goliath, whatever you want to call it. That was that was one for the ages for me. And this would be, is uh, it, isn't it? I say it's, it's not winning the Premiership. They're not beating clubs with the resources of Man City and Chelsea and Liverpool. 
but it's it it would just be such a wonderful story. Um, what, what else? Well, it's a uh, good league. The Belgian league's a good league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but they but they don't have the resources. They don't have. They're not. They're not putting a hundred million dollars into the transfer market. You know, they're they're no. they're, uh, they're not as outgunned as you are against the cities of the world. But anyway, what else have you got for us, Rog? Well, what else I've got? Um, there was something that I saw that um, made me think a little bit about my previous life and in the music industry and, and indeed I've had friends that have worked in the film industry and it's about the creation of stars, the creation of personality uh, in 2021. What does that look like? And, uh, and it looks like a young lad that looks a wee bit silly from Liverpool with a heavy, heavy Scouse accent called Paddy the Baddy. He is a UFC fighter now, but more importantly, he has been adopted by the wonderful uh, company that knows what they're doing, Barstool, who have put a significant amount of money behind him, and they are going to create the next Conor McGregor. You need to hear uh, Dave Portnoy speak him about him a little bit, and you know you get an idea of how um, these kind of like uh, people in 2021 take a personality and move them towards the area of. Uh, you know, influencer, uh, and then once you've got them and their audience, you can do so much with them. Patty the Batty. I'm watching TV, mind my own business, and Patty the Batty bursts on the scene. He had his UFC debut, uh, again, like a month ago. He gets into the ring, knocks this guy out, gets on the mic, gives the most electric interview I've ever heard. He's dancing, he's strutting. Then after the fight, I see him get interviewed. They're like, hey, who do you want to call out next, Patty the Batty? Patty the Batty calls out Instagram for deleting his account. He's like, give me my account back, you lizards. Next thing you know, Patty the Batty has joined the Barstool family. We got a ton of shit planned for this guy. He's going to keep winning. This man, the biggest athlete in the world. <laughs> That's how you create a celebrity in 2021. You already, you already know what I think, but you carry on. You already know what I think, Rog, but you carry on. Well, well, you know, you say that, you you say that, but listen, you know, we we did the same with the Spice Girls, and and we, I'm using the the, the name of my record company. I wasn't involved uh, in the first person, um, but you know, same kind of idea. Movie stars, um, they are created by the studios, and uh, marketing budget is put behind them. And all I'm saying is that you don't maybe recognize that as exactly the same playbook because they are being created on distribution marketing channels that are alien to you. You know, it's Twitch, it's it's uh, it's uh, YouTube, uh, it's TikTok, but it's exactly the same playbook. They have identified this guy and they've said, we are going to make you a world-class star. And and there's a lot of lessons to be, to be picked up from that, Grant. Well, uh... You know my views on this, Roger. This is, we've been traveling this road for a while now. And let, let's, let's pick apart why Portnoy thinks he can make this kid a star, right? I mean, <laughs> he, I haven't seen him fight. Good fighter. He, he doesn't Great fighter. Look like a fighter. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. He maybe is. He is. But it's about personalities, right? It's, it, 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 what we're seeing is UFC, MMA turning into wrestling. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's all about the characters. It's all about the narrative. It's all about the story. We invest you, get you invested in picking a goodie, picking a baddie, pick a side, have your guy. That's fine. That's fine. It, it, but it, you know, let, let's face it, wrestling is a perfect example. There are millions of people who love okay. wrestling, right, who love okay. wrestling. Love it. But let me come you, in on that. Well, hang on, hang on, let, hang on. Let me, no, let me finish. Let me finish. But do you want to be a serious sport? Or do you want to be a carnival sideshow? Because there's money in both. Um, but for the serious sport, <laughs> you, you, what do you end up doing, Rog? You just, you, just, you just end up making it like wrestling, which anyone who isn't like, – even the people that love wrestling know it's fake. They love it because it's fake. It's not a sport. So what do you do? You take a sport, and wrestling was once a sport, as, as you and I both know from a, from a video we watched this week, and you turn it into theatre. And if that's what you want to do with UFC, okay, fine. And there will be people that will love it. But I wanted to actually bring that up because um, I tweeted something this week, which I actually just reflected on. Uh, uh, every so often uh, I spend some time with Rick Rubin because he's got a place here in Italy. And um, in the times that I've spent with him, he's told me that he loves wrestling. 
And, you know, Rick Rubin is one of these, you know, deep artistic producers that's looking for meaning and values. So I always used to say to him, Rick, you know, explain to me why you love uh, wrestling. And he went into the whole, if, I, if I've told you this before, forgive me, uh, the whole storyline. And then, then I, so I posted that. And then one of our listeners, Juco James out there in America, um, in his own right, a very, very interesting guy. Um, he sent um, a couple of videos where... Uh, uh, Eric Weinstein, uh, who uh, made a lot of money with Peter Thiel, mm -hmm. he's called a polymath, obviously a, a very, very big brain, um, was re reflecting on how since the early 70s, uh, Western society, especially American society, has mirrored the, the journey of wrestling, which, as you say, started off as a, an, as a proper sport and then and morphed into pantomime and he calls that uh, what's the word you use uh, kifabe and uh, which is basically the stratifying of layers of lies kifabe kifabe um um to to basically cover up the reality with an ever more intricate um layer of of lies and has just two beautiful videos where he basically explained how we got to Donald Trump and maybe even Boris Johnson uh, in a same way that we, we got from normal wrestling to WWE. And, you know, the reason I wanted to bring that up, Grant, is because you in your day job, and I'm not, I'm not bothered about digressing a little bit here because I think this is interesting. You in your day job talk a lot about this, about narrative, about the illusion of prosperity that's been funded by, by debt which uh, would be um, kayfabe, uh, would be this layering of, of lies to give an idea that we're all uh, prosperous. And, and you know, I'll pass over to you here because your last newsletter also re reflected on that and how, um, how the West is probably struggling a little bit compared to our friend Vladimir. Speak a little bit more about that because I just found your, your writing the last couple of times just so, so on point and all of this stuff. Well, Roger, it's it's really about what's the easy way to put it. it, it, it it's about this the, the 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 pantomime that is wrestling has kind of morphed and changed and moved, and and this pantomime is engulfing politics now. You know, we we have pantomime leaders, and you know, Trump was the archetypal pantomime villain for many people, right? He was uh, a, a polarizing character, just like the WWE guys. He's someone that a lot of people can love and a lot of people can hate, but he drives clicks and he drives engagement. You know, in the UK, we've got Boris Johnson. In Canada, we've got Justin Trudeau. In, in France, we've got Emmanuel Macron. In Australia, we've got Scott Morrison. Not one of them is a leader in the true form, right? It, not one of them is someone that you could look on and you think history is going to judge as a leader. And... There's a reason for that, Roger, and it, is, it sounds ridiculous to, to take that back to Paddy the Baddy, but it is. It's all about style. There's Nothing's about substance anymore. It's all about style, and Dave Portnoy recognises that, and good for him. He realises that I can take style and I can get very rich from it. It doesn't have to be any substance. We don't need substance anymore. We just need distraction. And so, you know, you, you look at Vladimir Putin uh, as the other side of this. You know, whenever you talk about this, you're in danger of being written off as a, as a Russia apologist or a closet communist, which I always find amusing for someone who's been in capital markets for 35 years, but still. But, um, you know, here is a guy who is a very serious leader. He's not, there's nothing frivolous about Vladimir Putin. There is nothing lightweight. There's no style to him, right? He's all substance. And we're at this very interesting juncture where on the one side, you've, you've got this, ongoing battle between East and West. Russia are still the bad guys to just about every Western democracy. Putin, the arch villain to everybody. And that's the, the narrative in Western media. He is the bad guy in the wrestling ring, right? And, and, and we throw clowns in against him. But he's sitting there now with the biggest reserves of natural gas in the world. He's got his hands on the tap and he's basically got Europe at his mercy. He can control the energy going into Europe. He can decide whether Europe have a blisteringly cold winter with no heating, or he can throw them a bone and, and send natural gas their way just, just by flicking the flicking the, the switch. You know, th this, this idea that everything is about style and substance doesn't matter is fine until it isn't. And wrestling is, is the perfect microcosm of this. 
Dave Portnoy has taken it to the next level, but it's pervaded the entire Western society, Rog. And I, I do worry that if, if substance loses its importance, I worry where this ends up because there are still very serious people in the world of substance who have goals and who have aims and are trying to do serious things. And we are playing into their hands. We're allowing them to, to do those things because look who we're putting up against them. I mean, Putin's sitting there, I'm sure, in, in Moscow now thinking, I never, ever thought it was going to be this easy. I mean, you know, the only leader really that Europe had was Angela Merkel and she's gone now. Yeah. Find me another leader in Europe. You know, Draghi's probably the closest you've got. And where's he? I mean, you don't see him on the European stage. He's, he's barely there. So... I don't know. I, I I think we talk about this in in this this show a lot. This 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 kind of style substance debate, Roger. And I think it's all it's all fine and dandy when we're talking about wrestling and we're talking about UFC. I, I don't care. I've got no interest in it, but I don't care. But I think it speaks of a of a much more dangerous rot that um, you know when we get to the bread and circuses stage of any civilization, which is where we're at now, the more outrageous the circuses are, the more dangerous it is. And I, I mean, I hate to take this away from sport, but I think there's a much broader danger here that somehow Paddy the Baddy is a great representation of. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I read your newsletter last night and I found it profound also with what, you know, Duco James sent around um, Eric Weinstein. And, and, and you know, those those videos are available if you want to have a look at them. And, and it just is a beautiful um, articulation of... Um, the power of narrative, uh, the power of distraction, and you know, almost an exception like um, in uh, layering of 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 uh, of lies or realities that makes you realise that you don't really know where you are anymore. Uh, to the extent that you've got the Prime Minister of uh, United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland talking about fucking Peppa Pig, you know, uh, I'm just thinking, what is Putin thinking when he's there and he sees that this is. This is what we've got to offer. So, I mean, the, the, the sport often, you know, we've often said in this program, uh, sport is very geopolitical. Um, we're going to see uh, a lot of uh, that. It's already played out. It's consistently been played out in nation states, in the Middle East with the petrodollar. Uh, and, and I like the opportunity to try and bring all of these things together when we can. And it's our luck that we've got... Um, it's our luck that we've got you on the program, Grant. So um, uh, before uh, before we we've got, uh, I think we want to end with one thing. But just staying on Portnoy for a second, uh, and linking it to the start of the show, uh, people may know that he himself had his own um, sexual predator uh, issues in the last couple of weeks, where um, of all publications, Business Insider uh, had a go at him for. Um, uh, preying on young girls, none of them uh, illegal, all of them 18, 19, but I think he's in his early 40s, mid 40s. And um, Dave Portnoy, you know, a lot of people don't like him. They don't like what he represents. They don't like the the, the values that he represents. He is the anti, um, the, the anti-wokeness uh, candidate. Um, and they've gone after him. And then he said, as we saw in that tweet there, that it's a concerted move also with other people in the media, New York Magazine. But the thing about Portnoy is this, that is that he is a fighter. He's made um, quite a stern and I would say effective defence in the last couple of weeks against these allegations. He's offered to go on live debates. He's offered to have everything recorded uh, to tell his side of the story. Um, and and um, I would put him under the heading guys that you don't really want to mess with if you've got a choice because um, he's got this way of celebrating his enemies is that that he buys a bottle of champagne when he's identified an enemy. He puts it in the canteen with their name on it and when he has ground them into the dust, he will take it out of the canteen, uh, open the, the top and slug it down. And he, um, I think he's, I mean, one to watch. I think the first couple of rounds, I think maybe even, but maybe he's edging on ahead on the third round. But I don't think this is taking him down. Many people thought he was finished two, two weeks ago, but I don't think they're taking him down because he's got something about him. Well, it's, you know, the, it's the great quote from Omar in The Wire, right? You come at the king, you best not miss. And, um, you know, they, they came at him. They didn't necessarily put him down. Look, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Portnoy's, Rog, for, for reasons that we've discussed before on the show. Again, it's, this is a style substance thing to me. But I, look, I respect the fight. I think the argument he's making is, 
I mean, it just shows you, right? It just shows you where we are because his defense is, you know, yeah, I, I, I was sending an 18-year-old girl a text asking if she missed my dick 10 minutes after she left, but um, that's it. I'm a good guy. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's, this is what you want. If these, if the heroes are what you want, if you want them all about style and no substance, you're going to get the heroes you deserve, right? You are. And that's, he is, Listen, if Tim he is the hero can that do people it. deserve. No, look, absolutely right. Well, Tim Payne's another one. Right? Captain this of is, Australia. Absolutely right. Look, you, you, you get the people you deserve. So I'm no fan of Portnoy's. Um, I know you are. None of this surprised me. None of it surprised me yet. The way he's fought, the, the, the kind of defence he's put out there, it's exactly what I would have expected for him. It just, it just leaves me cold, the whole thing, Rog. Well, talking about people we do deserve, um, want to end tonight's show um, with Chris Cairns. Um, we, we both yes. saw a tweet that he put up there. There's nothing we can say that that is actually enough to explain what this guy has gone through since the start of August. Um, and here he is here, as you would expect, after being told, look, you'll probably never walk again, mate. And he's just, look at that, he's just gone through it. And, and you know, if I can hold it together uh, the next time we've got this programme, we're, we're going to have Chris on the show to talk about this to share some of the things that he's gone through in the last few months that uh, I think you and I have known about uh, Grant because we're, we're, we're friends, but um, it will be a pretty emotional show. Uh, but um, Chris is the kind of person, the kind of hero that we we do all deserve, I think. Look, as you said, Raj, I mean, you, we've just talked about two people and, and you've called them both fighters. And unfortunately for me, only one of them is the kind of fighter that, that you want, right? And that's Chris Cairns. I mean, the guy is an absolute lion and he conducts himself with respect and integrity and he he fights not in public. He fights quietly. He fights every day to, to walk again, right? That's fighting, you know, trying to bat back a, a sexual misconduct allegation. That's not fighting if you're if a port. No, especially when you, you agree you've done it all, you're just worried that someone's coming after you trying to, you know, make it sound worse than it is, you know, I, like I said, th- those two guys in juxtaposition is everything that society's about. And one side of it is everything that I loathe about modern society. And the other side is everything I admire. And that is that is courage and heart and strength and, and fighting spirit that even what Chris K- uh, Cairns has been through uh, won't diminish. No, Roger, I mean, that's uh, that's all we've got time for, unfortunately. We've got to wrap this thing up. We're about to run out of time. Uh, thanks to Sean, Entourage. Thanks uh, for the help with this. If you don't follow us on Twitter, please do so. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word, A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H, as it says under my name there. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again soon.